This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the Friday show. Doesn't it seem like it was just Monday, just like an hour ago? And here we are at the end of the program. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And this is The Word to Stand On for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your Bible questions and questions about stuff going on in your life. Whatever it is, 340-9585 is our number. That's 210-340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR, numerically at 630-5757. You can email questions by emailing questions at calvarysa.com, or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app and send them in. If you are driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the Call Now banner at the top of the screen, and you'll be connected directly to our studio producer. Well, it's for us Communion Sunday uh, this week. I hope you're going to church, and I hope wherever it is that you go, uh, you'll be able to partake of the Lord's table. It's always a very special time when the body of Christ is able to, to come to the table. I always think of Jesus at his own final table, the Last Supper, we call it. What a tense and frightening time it must have been, even for Jesus. I mean, he was obedient, he was going to do it, but... But we know the pain he would go through in the Garden of Gethsemane. And for us, it's completely different. It's sort of a liberation meal for us when we come to the table. It's a time when we can celebrate not only what he's done for us, and we can celebrate just how much he loves us. Well, that's the moment that we can really remember the price that was paid when he established our value. Sometimes we don't think much of ourselves. Jesus thought so much of us. He gave everything that he had in order that we could be his. So that is this weekend. Tonight, I'm going to be teaching one verse, believe it or not, chapter 5, uh, verse 21 and the book of Ephesians. Uh, it's uh, the subject that nobody wants to hear about, but it is an important subject. It's about submission. And um, then we're going to move on from there when we continue in our study the next time. Let's see. Let's go to some questions while I'm waiting for your phone calls. My first question is from our email inbox from Mick. Um, Pastor Ron, every time someone was raised from the dead, um, were, were they in Abraham's bosom for the duration of the time they were dead, then returned to the early bodies, 
And in your opinion, if they were taken from paradise and returned to their bodies on earth, do you think they'd be aware of what transpired and be mad at God about going from paradise back to earth again? Or do you think that they wouldn't remember or they probably couldn't speak of what they saw just as Paul wasn't allowed? And then there's another also. Also, our Hades and Abraham's bosom considered the same thing. I thought Hades was the waiting place of the dead for those who did not put their faith in God, awaiting the final punishment in the lake of fire. Luke 16 would imply that they're different places. But it also seems that the New Testament Greek equivalent for Hebrew Sheol is Hades, both being waiting places for the dead, or Hades and Sheol the same. If so, where does Abraham's bosom fit in? Um, let me start with the, the last question because I think it's easier. I think sometimes we get hung up with the with the the hell and the Hades and Sheol and Gehenna, uh, the different references. But remember, those are just literary references for a place of torment. Um, the abuso, uh, Luke sixteen, um, um, the Greek word is abuso. Uh, we would translate it the abyss. Uh, is where in the center of the earth that those two compartments were from Luke chapter 16. One of them, of course, we know is the place of torment. The other was a place called paradise or Abraham's bosom when Jesus was on the cross and the thief that got saved said, uh, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said, today I tell you the truth, you will be with me in paradise. That's in that place in the abyss. And so don't get too caught up with the Sheol or Gehenna references. In all of those places, Jesus is simply um, painting pictures. Gehenna was the, the trash that burned uh, around the city and the outside of the city, city limits. Uh, and and there, there would always be the smell of trash burning and you could always see the glow whether it was day or night. Uh, and, and Jesus used Gehenna when he was talking about uh, an eternal place of fire or an eternal place of torment. So he was just, again, painting pictures. Uh, I think uh, most people consider Hades and Abraham's bosom uh, the same place. Remember, they're separated by this big, big chasm. Now, I, I'm more interested, Mick, in your other questions. I like this. Um, when you talk about people that were raised in the dead, and you mentioned the Shunammite, woman's son, the body of the Israelite that was thrown on top of Elisha's bones, uh, Jairus' daughter, and Lazarus. Um, um, probably they were not in Abraham's bosom for the duration of the time they were dead before they returned to the early earthly bodies. Now, this is only Jewish superstition, but remember, Jews believed that a, the spirit of a person who died would hover around the body for three days. After the third day, then it was impossible that person uh, was gone and would never come back. Now, again, that's only Jewish legend. Um, but remember, these are exceptional uh, differences. I, I think of, of uh, Lazarus in particular when Jesus walked to the tomb and said, Lazarus, come forth. Had he not said it was a family tomb, and all of the people buried there. Had Jesus not identified the spirit of Lazarus specifically, then when he said, come forth, all of the people that had ever been buried there would have come forth. Jesus, of course, is in command of the spirit realm. So I think probably they were just dead people, and, and God made a miraculous exception, allowing their spirit to come back into the body and give it life. The, the body of the Israelite that was thrown on top of Elisha's bones. That was just a demonstration. So I don't think 
that they were in paradise. Now, uh, we don't know how long the Israelite uh, that was thrown on top of Elisha's bones had been dead. Uh, so he might have been uh, in, in Abraham's bosom. Jairus' daughter, of course, wasn't even a Jew. Um, so we, we don't know. I think Jesus just was demonstrating his total command over the spirit realm. Now, the, the question that's always interesting is, if they were taken from paradise and returned to their bodies, do you think they'd be aware of what transpired and be mad at God? Nobody, when they've seen God, is mad at him. I want you to understand that. We look at it from a human perspective, and we have a tendency always to think, man, I'd be mad. I would be angry. The Apostle Paul, remember, he had been stoned to death. He was taken to the third heaven, the, the, the abode of God, and he saw his own words, inexpressible things, things that man was not permitted to tell. Now, later he would write to, to die and be with Jesus is better by far. So, yeah, he would have been a little disappointed. I'm sure we would all be a little disappointed. Imagine being in heaven, being in the presence of the Lord, and then being told, well, I'm not done with you, you're going to go back. Now, from our perspective on earth, we think, well, that'd be good, I'm not ready to die. But once you're there, and you see him, and you experience uh, the, the fullness of his love in a way that we can't even describe adequately here, uh, I think we'd all be a little disappointed. But remember, when we've seen God and we've seen that love and we've experienced what it's like to be in his presence, um, th there's no one who's going to be disobedient. I especially love the example of Lazarus because when Lazarus came back, you remember that when the Jews were plotting to kill the apostles, they were also plotting to kill Lazarus. And the only reason they would kill Lazarus is because Lazarus, when he was risen to life, Imagine what an effective evangelist he was going to turn out to be. So I think what we want to do, once we've seen him, once we've experienced death, the only thing we want is his will to be done. I think our selfishness, our desires, I think all of that sort of falls into place, and all we want is what he wants. So I think probably, Mick, that's the way that I would answer the question. And in uh, one thing, and you, you asked this, would they couldn't speak of what they saw because Paul wasn't allowed. The answer to that is yes. And I always point that out because we have a lot of people writing books about what it was like when God took them to heaven. And all of those books are false teaching books because whatever they saw, God would have said, you can't tell anybody and yet they come back and write these books that tell all kinds of these wonderful made-up things. So, Mick, thank you for the question. I hope that makes sense to you. Here is a question from an anonymous female from our email inbox. Uh, Pastor Ron, I have an ongoing issue that comes from time to time. How do I walk by faith when the pain of life overwhelms me? I long to experience more of God, yet often I'm overwhelmed by my feelings. My feelings feel so real, and she's got so capitalized, so real, and God at times feels so, again, capitalized, distant. Does this problem come from lack of spiritual maturity? How do I overcome those moments? Thank you for your prayers ahead of time. Anonymous, this is one of the most important and practical questions I've ever been sent on this radio show. 
this is an honest heart that wants to please God. This is the Apostle Paul saying, what I want to do, I can't do. What I don't want to do, that's what I find myself doing. A wretched man that I am who can rescue me from this body of death. Well, your answer is the same as Paul's. I thank my God through Jesus Christ. Now, a couple of things that I'm going to talk about before I talk. I'm going to take a little bit of time with this as long as we don't have any phone calls. That's how important this question is. Um, you asked if this was a lack of spiritual maturity. Uh, in some parts, yes. But don't feel condemned by that. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Be encouraged by that because this demonstrates that you want to overcome the struggle that you're going through. An anonymous that so pleases God, it so pleases Him. So here's what you need to remember. When you are overwhelmed by the pain of this life, or when your feelings overwhelm you, you've got a choice to make. The mature choice is to, well, I'm going to trust God no matter how I feel. The immature choice is to say, well, my feelings are so real, I'm going to give in to my feelings. Now, one thing that we need to understand is that none of us ever has to give in to our feelings. We've got God's word. And you would expect me to say this anonymous, but the, 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 the answer to this question is going to be spoken to you daily in your time with Lord, with the Lord in his, in his word. You've got to believe the promises. No temptation has seized you except that which is common to man. And God is faithful. He won't let you be tempted or tested beyond what you can bear. You have to really wrestle with, do you believe that? The question of, who owns you? Do you belong to Christ or are you your own? If you're your own, you will give in to your feelings. If you belong to Christ, you'll take those thoughts, those feelings captive and turn them to being obedient feelings. So here's the question. Your feelings are real. You say, at times God feels so distant. How do you overwhelm that? How do you overcome that? And the answer is you have to make a choice every day to do it. Now, let me give you a Bible study. Now, I'm not going to give you the whole study, but let me just I'll give you some outlines. And then this is something that you can do. This is a matter of faith more than anything else. Without faith, Hebrews 11, 6 says, it's impossible to please God. So this is a matter of faith. So let's learn from other people. Um, we learn from Hebrews chapter 11 that Enoch was taken from this life so they didn't experience death. And then it says, before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. Now think about Enoch's life. For 65 years, he was like everybody else in this world. A world where everyone was given over to sin. Every inclination of man's heart was only evil all the time. The adjectives are very, very important. For 65 years, he was like that. Then God sent him a message, and he became what we would say is saved. He sent him a message. And then it says, for 300 years, for 300 years, he walked with God. Now, we might look at that, Anonymous, and say, well, what a lonely life that was. For 300 years, with everybody else given out evil, he walked with God. I, I take walks with Jesus to this very day for that very reason. There's times I just need to be away from phones and distractions and people. I, I just, just me and Jesus. 
Well, Enoch did it for 300 years. Now, let's talk about feelings for a moment. How often do you think Enoch felt lonely? And every day in a world completely given over to evil, he'd have to get up and make the decision, well, do I be with people? Or do I just take my walk with God? And he had to make the choice every single day, and he was rewarded after 300 years. He was commended as one who pleased God. Why? Because by faith he made the right choices. I think about Noah. Only eight people were saved. Noah, we know, was a preacher of righteousness. Built the ark with one hand and had his Bible in the other and was sharing Jesus. And yet there was no converts. But in the holy fear of God, he kept doing the work. When the whole world would be against him, turn on him. Every day he had to make the choice to keep working. Now, it took him 120 years to build the ark. One of the reasons I so admire Noah is because in any project, especially one that's going to take 120 years, it's easy to sort of lose your excitement about the, the project. Well, in spite of how he felt, in spite of what people said, he continued the work. He made a choice. Abraham was asked to give his only son. And he had to choose whether he believes God. You talk about a troubled heart and, and pain overwhelming him. For three days, for three days, he walked toward that moment when he knew he was going to raise the knife and, and kill his son. And of course, God met him and rewarded him. It was never God's intent to do that. And you can go on and on. Moses... Moses could have been Pharaoh. And he chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than enjoy the pleasures of wealth and power. How many times do you think he had to battle his feelings? Now, you can go through the whole chapter, chapter 11 of Hebrews, and you can find people who had to deal with the same stuff you had to go through every day. So I guess the way to answer this question the most clearly is simply to say choose every day to walk with Jesus. When the pain of life is overwhelming to you cry out to Jesus. Open your Bible. Cry out to Jesus. Take a walk with Him. When your feelings are so real you got to remember that the enemy of your soul is trying to manipulate those feelings because the only thing he wants for you is for you to be disobedient. And I love your heart here. You so want to overcome those moments, but you overcome them moment by moment, day by day. And you simply make a decision. That's what it means to mature in your faith. As a new believer, your feelings controlled you. But every day you walk with Jesus, you will be able by the power of the Holy Spirit to control your feelings. One last thought. Imagine the smile of God. Imagine His smile on you. 
when in fact you say no to how you feel for no other reason than you say yes to him. And the more you do that, then the more God is going to prove to you that walking with him is better than anything your feelings can imagine. This is such a good question. I thank you for your honesty and your heart. And God bless you. It is a struggle that we all have, and you are not alone. Wonderful, wonderful question. 340-9585. Here is another anonymous question. It says, how does one deal with perpetual sin or reoccurring sin? I struggle but often fail. Um, I'm going to repeat anonymous to you what I just said to the last question. You do it every day. You keep struggling. The key in your question is the word struggle. As long as you're struggling, you know that the Spirit of God is with you. And when you fail, uh, you have an advocate. This doesn't justify failing. This, this isn't an excuse to fail. But when you fail, and we all do, you have an advocate with the Father, Jesus, whoever lives to make intercession for you. And if you confess your sin, he will be faithful and just to forgive you and purify you from all unrighteousness. But this is another one of those moments when you are tested. 1 Corinthians 10.13 needs to be sort of tattooed on your brain. You have to struggle with, do I believe that? Because if you believe it, then when you are at the point where you would normally fail, you can say, but I don't have to this time. God will provide a weight so I can stand out or stand up under this, the temptation. So whatever your struggle is, two things that have always helped me. The first is, when I am tempted, I talk to Jesus. You know, if I won't get angry at somebody, I can't, I can't misrepresent the Lord. The stakes are so high. So if I'm tempted to lash out or tempted to defend myself, I simply talk to him. Jesus, I know I can't do that. You love this person. If your sins or their struggles or sins of the flesh, by that I mean sexual, lust, those kinds of things, Every time you're tempted, open your Bible. And remember, it's the enemy who's bringing these temptations to you. Now, he's cooperating with your flesh, but the enemy is bringing these temptations to you. I think the enemy will leave you alone if every time you are tempted, you realize that the most potent weapon you have is the Word of God. Jesus himself, when he was tempted by the devil in the wilderness... Responded with the Word of God. Do you know the Word of God well enough to respond to those temptations using your Bible? Sin shall no longer be your master. Like the King James, sin shall no longer have dominion over you. I don't have to, 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 to give in this time. I choose to please you, Lord. You see, I think the enemy will find something else to come after you with if, in fact, he knows every time that you're tempted to do something, you're, you're going to open the Word of God. The devil hates the Word of God. He has no answer for it. That's all you have to do. Now, one other thought, and this will take us to our break. We have to remember 
that the time to be prepared for temptation is before the temptation comes. Anonymous, that means you've got to be in the Bible daily. Every day. Read it. It doesn't have to be hours and hours, but read it. The Holy Spirit will prepare you for the things that He knows lies ahead. And so read it. Put the Word in you. David said, I, your, your Word have I hidden in my heart so that I will not sin against you. The Word of God will never make it impossible to sin, but it will always make it possible not to. That's really important. So, Again, I'm grateful that you're struggling. You're not just giving yourself over to to temptation and sin. But you keep struggling. Let Jesus do the fighting for you. Last thought, I know I told you the other one was the last thought. But the Holy Spirit just brought this to mind. Remember that he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. You keep struggling. God will give you the victory and you'll realize just how powerful the Holy Spirit is. You cannot fight temptation in your own strength because truth is we want to sin, we have no strength. So let the Holy Spirit do the fighting for you. Hey, we'll be back on the other side of the break. You're listening to The Word to Stand On for Life, 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR. We'll see you in two minutes. Back to the word to stand on for life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the second half of our Friday program. The phones are quiet. We'd love you to call 340-9585. Now, here's a strange question. Strange for me. Uh, it's another anonymous question. And the the... Listener says, I'm curious as to what you do for fun. I know you work a lot, but how do you relax and enjoy life? Uh, Anonymous, I think if I broke your code, I think you just said, I'm boring. Well, that's that's exactly I'm pretty boring. Um, um, for, For me, I'm married to Paula. That's fun. That's all the excitement I can handle. Uh, just being around her is fun. And and so, um, I, I mean, I don't really do anything for fun. Um, and, and to relax, I go to bed at night and, and I enjoy my life more than, more than you can possibly imagine. So I, I don't know really what the motive for the question is, but um, um, I, I, the Lord provides plenty of time to relax. I, I have to give my brain some time off tomorrow morning. Uh, Paul and I will be here at the church for prayer. Uh, we'll go to breakfast, uh, and then the rest of my Saturday will be just kind of kicking back and relaxing. I'll be watching football and changing channels and watching vet shows and all that. But, but, but I get plenty of, of time to relax. Um, Thursday is is uh, our, our day off, my date day with Paula, um, and we break that up sometimes for meetings. But we're always together, and and of course we come and do the show. 
Um, but pretty much, you know, I do three Bible studies a week. I don't take holidays off typically because they, I don't like falling behind. Uh, so it's just one of those things where you've got to realize that there's work to do. But I find enjoyment in doing the work. I mean, I, I, I was almost 40 years old when I got saved. I wasted so much time. Um, the day I got saved, I, I purpose in my heart. I didn't want to waste any more time. So uh, all I can tell you is God provides time to relax. My life is fun. Uh, I enjoy it um, tons. Um, but, but I don't know where to go with this question other than that. I, I'm not a real hobby person. My hobby is my work. And uh, Paula makes sure that I have fun. So that's the best I can do with a question like that. Here's a question from Bruce. He said, Pastor Ron, I feel like I'm getting burned out on ministry. I want to serve God, but how do I keep from getting taken advantage of? Now, I'm not sure, Bruce, what you mean by taken advantage of, but here's the thing to remember. Um, You are a servant. A servant can't be taken advantage of because the servant serves. Jesus in the upper room in John chapter 13 washed the feet of his disciples. The first pair of really filthy feet would have been Judas, his betrayer. And Jesus knew he was being taken advantage of. I tell people all the time that you can't be a victim if you're willing to be victimized. You understand, I'm not doing this for them. I'm not doing this to get a reaction from them. I'm doing this to please the Lord. And I think if, if, if I'm understanding your question even close to the way you intended it, if you are trying to protect yourself or to protect your heart, um, then you're going to continue to get burned out because you're not doing it for him, you're doing it for you. Uh, I always struggle a little bit, Bruce, when, when people talk about getting burned out. I've had uh, people in ministry talk about, well, you know, I just don't want to get burned out, so I have to take plenty of time off. If you get burned out doing ministry, you're doing it in your own power instead of, instead of being connected to the power source uh, of the Holy Spirit. Um, I, I just it's just impossible. Now we get physically tired. I don't I don't mean to imply otherwise. Uh, and there are times emotionally um, things are really really hard. But that's why we need to be connected to that source of power. So again, don't worry about being taken advantage of. Um, if you're faithful and people want um, to to use you, that's just an opportunity for you to be blessed that somebody else is missing out on. So don't worry about what you get from ministry. Remember that we're to do all things as unto the Lord. We're not to grow weary in well-doing. So we just keep doing it for him and knowing that he's pleased. And I'm going to bring this a little bit closer to home. You know, we, um, we, most of us have jobs. And we typically feel like, we're not getting paid enough or we're not being appreciated enough or somebody else is getting the credit for the things that we do. Um, Jesus said, but if you do that for me, I'm taking notice and I'm preparing crowns for you. Believe me, on the day when we stand before the Lord at the Bema seat of Christ, the only thing that we're going to be concerned about is the rewards that we receive from Jesus. So I think this is a time, Bruce, really to look into your heart for motive. Why are you doing what you're doing if you're doing it for him? Well, you may get tired, you may be emotionally drained, 
Our brains get tired. You will never burn out. Because every time you step out in obedience, you want to serve as unto the Lord because it's Him you're serving. The power of the Holy Spirit takes over. And my suggestion is to check your heart. If you're doing it for you, then burnout is a reality. If you're doing it for Jesus, He's got you in His hands and you'll never, ever be disconnected from the source of power. Thanks for that. I hope that helps. Laura said, what answer would you give to a woman who is a pastor who says that she's just using the gift God has given her to preach and to pastor? Um, You know, I I wouldn't try to win an argument with her or even engage her in an argument, but if if this was a legitimate question, and a woman was saying, but, but, but I'm, I'm gifted to teach. I would say, well, of course you're gifted to teach. So teach. But you can't justify using that gift in a way that is going to misrepresent God with a way that's going to violate the Word of God. You know, we've got women here, I've said this so many times in answer to questions like this, um, women here have wonderful gifts of teaching. Um, they use that gift in counseling. They use that gift in women's Bible studies. They use the gifts that God has given them in one-on-one confrontation. I don't mean confrontation in the negative sense, but, but in those divine appointments that God sets up. So what I would say to her is, use your gift according to the will of God. We don't get to do what God wants us to do on our terms. Not ever. I did a Bible study just uh, la- this past Wednesday night where I think I made that statement two or three times in the course of the body in Genesis chapter 27. We have to do things His way. And even if we want the same thing He wants, we, we can't improvise. The ends don't justify the means. So what I would tell her is that that she is misusing the gift that God has given her. First Timothy 2 is very clear. I do not permit a woman to teach or have authority over a man in the church. And that's either true or it's not. And if she is given the gift of teaching, then she needs to learn to teach that verse. I always wondered what a woman pastor would do if if she taught the Bible like we do, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, always wondered what they would say. A woman pastor standing in front of the church, what would she say, how would she explain First Timothy 2.12? When she got to it, what would she do? How would she sort of bypass the clear intent of the passage? And you see, that would prove two things. One, whether her heart was really for God. And two, whether or not she was really gifted to be a teacher. So um, that's, that's how I would answer. But, but Laura, what I've found uh, in the discussions that I've had with, with uh, people about this is that they, they never really want to hear an answer. They just want to justify doing what they want to do. And again, there, there's women who um, save women, gifted women, but who are misusing the gift of God 
in the process. And that's a dangerous place to be. Okay. Here is another anonymous question. A lot of them today. Um, do you have any Calvinists on your board? On your church board? If not, don't you think that all views should be represented? Anonymous, I do not have any Calvinists on my church board. I would never permit a Calvinist on my church board. I would never give a Calvinist a position of teaching in the church. Um, and I wouldn't do it because I would be doing a disservice to the people in our church. Can you imagine if I had a board member who was a Calvinist and we had to agree on something, what would happen? Don't I think all views should be represented? I think only the right one should. And, you know, our clear teaching of the Bible, um, how can two walk together unless they agree to do so? No, uh, so, no, I don't have any Calvinists on my church board. I never will. And um, there will not be a Calvinist uh, who ever is in a position to influence others because I, I'm protective of the flock that God has given me. And I, I, I don't want to... It, it's like speaking out of both sides of your mouth. If I thought Calvinism was true and the right biblical view, then I wouldn't have any non-Calvinists on my church board either. So that's pretty clear and a pretty easy question to answer. Daniel says, Pastor Ron, how would you advise a pastor with a young family to balance being a husband, father, and a pastor? Um, Daniel, this is a timely question for me because uh, we are ordaining a week from tonight um, a young pastor. Now, he's young compared to me. Okay, He's not like 20 or anything, but but he's young. And he's got small kids, two small kids, beautiful wife. Uh, he's also bivocational. Um, and, and we just talked about this. You know, um, I don't think there's any balance. You know, when people think about balance, it's always, well, how much time with the church? How much time with, with being a pastor? How much time for study? How much? I think when the husband and the wife together are committed to the calling that God has given them in their lives, and we let God do the balancing out. Uh, I don't expect any of my pastors with kids. I don't expect them to miss games. And I don't. I I do expect them to miss games on Sunday, things like that. If their kids get involved in stuff, and and I would probably talk to them about their kids being involved in something on a Sunday that took them from church about about, about the message of priorities that they're sending. But um, most of my pastors, I'm trying to think, I think all of my pastors have, have kids. Well, some of, some of the pastors, their, their kids are, are grown. But um, um, I want them to be a present husband and a present father. I want them involved in their kids' school stuff and their sports stuff. Um, I don't require them to be here every time the door is open. I want them to be here every time they can be. And I don't have any issues with that with any of my staff. Um, but, but what I would tell you is, are you and your, your wife committed together to this calling? If you are, then you're in it together. And then we sort of let God balance things out. I just don't see that there is a, a struggle or a tension there. Uh, I know there are churches, Daniel, um, I'm ashamed to say some of them are Calvary chapels, 
where they invite somebody to be a pastor and then they just work these people to death and their families never get to see them. I think that's sin. So I think I think balance, I talk about balance a lot on this program. Balance theologically or doctrinally. I think balance in the way we use the gifts of the Spirit. But I think the balance in managing a family and a calling, um, the, the balance is going to be the safe place, the Jesus place. So uh, I just think it's a matter of walking together after the calling that God has given you and making sure that you do not um, neglect the ministry at home. I've always had people say, well, my first ministry is my family. That's not true. First ministry is Jesus. And then he works out all of the other ministries. I think if we've got that approach, there's no problem. You know, I can say this, Paula, if she was here today, I'd have her weigh in on this. But, but you know, Paula, I, I used to work more than 100-hour work weeks before I got saved. And Paula wanted me to be a Christian so badly, prayed for me for 13 years, um, you know, there, there were so many times when she was scared. Well, now he's saved. Now he's a pastor, but he's just going to be a workaholic pastor. I'm going to be all alone. God didn't let that happen. And nor will he let it happen to you, Daniel. So don't really worry about it. Let's go to Cindy on line one from San Antonio. Cindy, good to hear from you. It's been a while. Hi, Pastor Ron. Hi, Cindy. You know what? Well, I've got one of my, I've got two things. One is kind of one of my out-of-the-envelope thoughts, and I'm kind <laughs> of wondering, because it, it seems like it was yesterday was last Friday again, and I'm wondering if God could possibly be pulling a fast one on us and speeding up time. Like, to us, a minute is still a minute, but I'm wondering <laughs> in the whole universe if maybe a minute is turning into a second. And that's kind of like my out-of-the-envelope thought. But what I really called about was I'm thinking about, I've been thinking about this for a week or so, about the disciples, how long it took Jesus to gather, you know, his, his I guess we'd call it his team, you know, his dream team or whatever. And, you know, I'm wondering how long it took. Because when you read through the Gospels, it seems like, you know, it's just like, you know, today I'm over here and tomorrow I'm over there. And I was just kind of curious about the time. And then I was thinking about what it must have been like when they were first kind of hanging out together. How, you know, it, it, it must not have been that easy because you had a tax collector, which nobody wanted to invite to dinner. You had a zealot, which, you know, was probably, you know, kind of mad at everybody. And then you had the Sons of Thunder, which... You know, I'm not sure why they were the sons of thunder, if it was that they were real boisterous. And I know if it was me, I'd have kind of a hard time. I'd be keeping my fingers in my ears if I was hanging around with them and you know, kind of like finding a place, you know, the far end of the room to hang out in. And so I'm just thinking about what it must have been like that first, you know, initial time before they really got the drift you know, with Jesus and about accepting each other and, and all that. So that's what's been running around in my head for a little while. Um, I will I will get off the phone and let you sort all this out. Good to talk to Thank you. Bye. I love hearing Thank the you, show. Thank you, Cindy. Bye. Thank you. We miss you. Uh, <laughs> um, you know, uh, Jesus' disciples, it's always, uh, it makes me laugh. You can hear me laughing now to think about them because um, Jesus really never answered their questions. They had questions and he would answer them with a parable or he'd answer them with another question 
or he'd just say something to them like, oh, you little faith, have I been with you so long and you still don't know? And, and I can picture the disciples shaking their heads all the time. I think they were always uncomfortable. I, I can go one step further and say that, that even at the end, after three and a half years, they didn't get it until he sat them down and said, okay, I am really going to die. And they didn't hear anything else because if they would have listened, he, he also told them on the third day, I'm going to rise. And, and yet they didn't get any of that. So I think that awkwardness uh, extended um, all along. I think it was awkward for the disciples because they saw um, frequent demonstrations of God's power and his holiness. Peter would cower down in the boat and say, depart from me, Lord, for I'm a sinful man. Um, when, when Jesus was always reading their thoughts, they hadn't said anything. And he was reading their thoughts. What are you guys arguing about? Who's going to be the greatest? Can you imagine how uncomfortable that would make you feel? I mean, we've got the Holy Spirit knocking on the door of our heart and convicting us. But imagine if that was a real human being, physical human being, and, and as soon as you thought something, he said it. I, we'd all be uncomfortable. So I don't think they got it. And I think the melding together. Now, when you mentioned the, the zealot, Simon the Zealot, um, it would have been impossible for him and Matthew, a tax collector, to be in the same location. He'd want to kill him. The Zealot Party, it was a political party, and they were committed to the overthrow of Rome, and they would have considered a Jew who collected taxes as the worst kind of, of betrayer. And yet, there was something about being in the presence of Jesus that changed them as they learned and they listened as they grew in knowledge I think Cindy as they saw the power of God who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him I think they finally got to that place where they thought you know what I just trust him it's better not to ask any questions I just trust him. So that's what I think. And the, the one thing you remember is that Jesus um, didn't choose his disciples until he'd been out praying, speaking to his father. I only do what I see my father do. I only say what I hear my father say. So those night times of, of, of night, nighttime long prayer, Jesus came back and he knew exactly who he was going to choose. So I think that's the thing. Regarding time, Cindy, uh, time is measured. So we know that God's not playing a trick on us in shortening times. It just seems that way the older we get. You know, Paula will say, we, we say things to each other, but, but, but there's a time, 1234, 1234. And every time Paula sees that on the clock, on the car clock or telephone, or anything, she, ooh, 1234, I see that a lot. And I tell her, no, you don't see it a lot. You don't see it anymore than you see it any other time. It's just that you notice that time when you see it. And I think that was pretty much the same thing. Thank you, Cindy. It's really, really good to hear from you. Let's take a call from Jimmy on line one. Jimmy, thanks for calling. We've got four minutes. Yes, sir. Yeah, I'll be real quick. Um, okay, people, Christians say we need, we need to tell the people the, the truth and love. Now, some Christians say, well, you know, we can't persecute these Christians, these people 
And, and it's not, I said, we're not persecuting them. We're just sharing the scriptures, the way it's written and the way it's said. These are God's words and God does not lie to us. This is what I tell them. People, they say, well, we might offend them. I said, you know what? You have to tell them the truth. And some people, that's not the truth in love. So, can you explain that? Yeah, I can, Jimmy. You know, I think the way the way the way I would deal with that with a Christian, if a Christian would say to me, "Well, you can't offend anybody," I'd say, "Well, well, well, Jesus did." I mean, read what Jesus said. Read 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 the way that Jesus spoke to those who were opposed to him, and it was because he loved them. I always think of the rich young ruler in particular. Um, it says because he loved him, he told him he had to sell everything and give it to the poor and follow him. He did that because he loved him. Now, the rich young ruler didn't take it as loving, but you see, that's not the point. The point is that was Jesus' intent. And so a Christian who says, well, you can't offend people, that's not loving, is an immature Christian, period. End of comment. That is an immature Christian who doesn't know anything about their Bible. They know very little about Jesus. And the most unloving thing they can do, Jimmy is to refuse to tell somebody the truth when they're doing things that are going to lead to them being condemned for an eternity in hell. That's how important this is. And they're, they're immature Christians. They, they've been sold a bill of goods by the world that we live in. And those are men and or women who simply are not standing with Jesus or standing up for Jesus. They're selling out is what they're doing. And that's just a spiritual-sounding way of doing it when the truth of the matter, Jimmy, is that they're simply unwilling to make themselves uncomfortable to tell somebody the truth. They're more concerned about what people think than about what God thinks. Jesus, you remember, when his family thought he was crazy, he made the statement that my family are those here who do the will of God. He said, I came to divide families. He knew that's what would happen. And you know what? The gospel itself is an offense. So if that's the way people view it, Jimmy, that's just an immature approach, um, a very ungodly approach to the way that we're supposed to treat unbelievers. Thank you, Jimmy. Good to hear from you again. Uh, Remember, this week for us is Communion Sunday, and I hope you get communion at church. If you are physically able and you're not in a high-risk category, you should be at church. Be involved. Do not forsake the assembling together of the saints. Find an opportunity to use the gifts that God has given you to be a blessing to someone else. Hey, tonight at 7 o'clock, Ephesians chapter 5, just one verse, verse 21. Maybe we'll see you there. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Lord willing, I'll be back on Monday on AM 630 The Word at 4 o'clock. We'll see you then.